Welcome to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. On today's podcast, a reflection on Jesus, our hope in times of trial. Father Peter Armenio, a priest of Opus Dei, explains how suffering is not a sign that should cause us to lose hope, but rather it is a sign of our sharing in the cross of Christ, which according to St. Paul, is the power of God. We also hear how we can grow in hope by making Jesus and his cross the center of our lives and how that is also the best way to give hope to others. Jesus, who is good news of great joy, in the practice, how does that impact on the daily life of your average American who is a serious Christian? Because part of being a serious Christian is to love your country, especially when your country is established on moral principles, on at least preambles to Christianity. Our country began as a religious movement and our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution is founded on objective morality. And what do we see now? To be brutally honest, we see our religious freedom being taken away. Our collective consciences, if we embrace standards of morality, fundamentals, nothing sophisticated, a right to live. The sacredness of marriage that virtually no culture is questioned until these contemporary times. It's a fulfillment of the Lord's prophecies that violations of these commandments will be seen as goods. St. Paul weighs in as well. The Christian feels that he or she is from another planet, protection of human life has been substituted by its destruction on behalf of a woman's rights. This is seen as a good. And as we look at the possible candidates, again, I I just weigh in on the moral issues. Christians are wringing their hands. How do I decide? What are the less, who's the lesser of the two evils? Compounded, I'm not going to leave you depressed, don't worry, but a lot of good people who follow Christ are on another planet, even in the heart of their household. 
their children in many instances are indifferent towards the gospel. And following Christ and following his teachings and embracing the basics of the moral law that was a characteristic of ancient thought even before Christ in the Greek world and obviously in the Jewish world is seen as an anomaly and you're labeled now with a fresh word called intolerance you're intolerant if you espouse preambles to Christianity called the natural law or the gospel it reminds me of this graffiti that was written in the maybe second century or third century. I'd rather have my wife be an adulteress than a Christian. They found that. Where is this hope? Why does St. Jose Maria say this in Forge? Reject your pessimism. Don't allow those around you to be pessimistic. God should be served with cheerfulness and abandonment. We find ourselves very much in solidarity with the protagonists of the Acts of the Apostles and the Epistles of St. Paul. Absent the moderate advances, we're in similar situations. Again, once again, it's the age of the laity. In all ages, but especially this age, when you want to be this light of the world, you are a sign of contradiction. Our Lord says, right before his passion, I have said this to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Our focus, no matter what happens, and we have that experience, stay focused on our Lord. He is that good news of great joy. And as we focus on Him, we, we, we are and we will be oases of hope. Again, going back to that idea of canonization. All the little intricate steps that caused this to happen. I was at St. Josemaria Scrivá's canonization. I lived in Rome. And St. Peter's Square, this is not to give a sense of triumph but to 
illustrate what this hope is all about. In this location, which is the area of St. Peter's Square, when Jose Maria Scriva informed the Vatican through his right-hand man, who is also a blessed now, Alvaro del Portillo, about this whole idea of making Christ the center of a lay person's life and bringing Christ into the heart of the human, excuse me, the heart of the modern world, he was told, you've come a hundred years too soon. And what does that mean in the Catholic Church? The game's over if they don't approve of your institution. You're not, you can't go forward. Obviously things had changed. No one can imagine in a million years that you would have a half a million people packed in front of St. Peter's Church. The crowds stretching to the shores of the Tiber. Every race was represented, every continent. And during Mass, you could hear a pin drop throughout that whole Mass. Every, every roof was packed with people. Every window had three or four faces out that window. It was cosmic. And that's not just peculiar to him. I was comparing notes with somebody else, and he was a Capuchin. He said, well, we packed two churches when Padre Pio was canonized. St. Peter's and St. John Lateran. And then I chimed in, well, we packed St. Peter's again the next day when we had a special mass. Whatever it is, holiness, which means being centered on Christ, is what gives hope. But we have to keep our eyes on him. I remember, maybe going from the sublime to the ridiculous, when I was preparing for the priesthood in Italy, during the summer, I went on an excursion with three or four guys. Americans never was able, were able to make the grade in playing soccer with the Europeans, so our consolation prize was to literally take a hike, which I was happy to do because there was so much to see taking a hike. And I was climbing, we were climbing up a mountain. And we reached a section of the mountain where you had to be careful because if you slipped, you could fall 300 to 500 feet down. Yeah, I'd be careful. And one of the guys looked down as he was climbing up and he froze. And he was holding us up. We had to climb that mountain, get back in time for supper. And his knees started to knock. He was so scared. And he was saying, I can't move. I'm, I, I'm paralyzed here. And, and some of the guys are trying to push him up and some are kind of reprimanding him. Come on, it's not a big deal. Just keep going. Just be careful. We're, we're, we're behind you. And someone had the idea, stop looking down. Look at the sky. 
Look at the sun, look at the clouds, but don't look down. Look up. And then one guy took his head and just said, don't look. And then he started to compose himself. He was able to proceed up by not looking down. For whatever it's worth, it'd be a waste of time talking about hope and optimism without saying we've got to keep looking at Christ and connect with Christ because he is my hope and he is my optimism and consequently I become the hope for others. Suffering and contradiction is not a sign that we should lose hope. In fact, the early Christians were taught by St. Paul that contradiction and suffering, sharing the cross of Jesus is the power of God. The kingdom of God went forward. One last, talking about how Christ is our hope. Last summer I was involved with a program for American seminarians called the Rome experience, where they'd learn theology, spirituality, the history of art, the history of the church, the history of the martyrs, etc. And the tail end of our trip, we'd pass through Spain. And we went to this now pretty well known, at least among priests and seminarians, St. John Paul II made it famous, more famous. This former Claritian seminary in Barbastro, Spain, kind of a little bit on the eerie side, but germane to our meditation on optimism. Long story short, it was during those persecutions, and these seminarians were all early 20s, some teenagers, 52 of them, or 54, rounded up, and asked to quit the seminary so that they could be dis avoid arrest and torture and possible execution. So they're rounded up and put in very harsh conditions, in prison, packed in a big room. Two of them, anyway, there's 54. And they started to torture the rector The people in charge, I was the translator, I had to translate this talk that these seminarians got there. And the seminarians were being threatened with the same thing. And they were wavering and they were shaken up. And prostitutes were sent in there 
Some were not, but women were sent in there to break their will. One fell in love with one of the seminarians. He didn't capitulate, but, and she tried to save his life. And they were shaken. And someone arranged behind the scenes to put the blessed sacrament, the, the, the host, communion, in their sandwiches. Because they would have the captors wanted them to live, so they were served probably Hamon Serrano sandwiches. And they'd put the Eucharist in that sandwich. And that was the they would, that was the high point of their day. To, they would open the bread and take the host. As they dealt with Jesus in a more intense way, under these terrible conditions, their spirits lifted. And they started to write their last words. Because three or four would be, they would dig their own grave and be shot according to age. So the youngest one died last. Two seminarians' lives were spared because they were not Spanish, they were from Argentina. And so all these seminarians wrote their last words, their last considerations, and gave it to the two Argentinians who would be set free. And underneath the stools where they're sitting, they were carving words. Now these wood, these carvings are enshrined, are framed. Their little pieces of scrap paper are also framed where they're saying to a man how happy they are. And reassuring family, friends, parents that they feel they're, that's, that's kind of the lingo, luckiest people to be able to actually go through with this. And that they should not lose hope that Christ always is victorious through his cross. It's macabre because their skeletons are all underneath, it's very Spanish, underneath the chapel in a crypt. Each one has its own kind of urn and you can see the holes in the skulls of 52 guys. And there's a fresco, and the tabernacle is configured like a basket. At first I thought, oh, here's this funky-looking tabernacle. But the reason why it's shaped like a basket is because the Eucharist was placed in the sandwiches, which were brought in a basket into this holding room where these guys were staying for about a couple of months. As we finish up... We ask the Lord to convince us that he is my hope. We believe that. But we want to feel that in our gut. And maybe it's real simple. Contact him more. Speak to him more. Don't look down. Look at him. Keep your eyes on him. And you'll go forward. 
This is, and I'll finish with this. This is what the early Christians heard. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Is it Christ Jesus who died? Yes. Who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I think the takeaway, more than, you know, making a human effort to be hopeful, Jesus, you've got to be more a part of my life, and the goal is to make you the center, but not, you know, years from now, as soon as possible. I'm going to take those steps to make you the center so that I have hope and I can give that hope to others because you are the light of the world, the true light of the world. You are everlasting life. Mary, intercede for us so those sentiments lay deep roots in our minds and hearts. Thank you for listening to the St. Jose Maria Institute podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. For more resources and podcasts like this one, go to stjosemaria.org. That is stjosemaria.org.